acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Throughout movie history, there have been many talented couples famous for acting together on screen. Bogey and Bacall, Newman and Woodward, Burton and Taylor. But one couple occupies a singular place in the show business pantheon, Eli Wallach and Ann Jackson. The couple met during a 1946 production of Tennessee Williams' This Property is Condemned and went on to star together on and off Broadway. Eli Wallach's legendary movie career includes films like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, The Misfits, and The Godfather Part Three. Anne Jackson can be found in movies like Lovers and Other Strangers and The Shining. They were also early members of the famed Actors Studio. As part of our ongoing series to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the Actors Studio, we are celebrating those responsible for its success, which includes Jackson and Wallach. My guests today are two of this illustrious acting couple's children, Roberta and Catherine Wallach. The Wallach sisters grew up surrounded by theater royalty. Al Pacino, Hume Cronin, actor's studio director Lee Strasberg, even their babysitter was famous. Her name is Marilyn Monroe. The siblings would go on to become actors in their own right, members of the studio, and eventually sit on its board of directors. Later in the episode, I'll speak to Drama Desk nominee Roberta Wallach, but first, Catherine Wallach is known for her numerous theater credits and appearances in Scorsese films like Goodfellas, The King of Comedy, and Gangs of New York. But the creativity gene doesn't stop there. She's also a jewelry designer. Since Wallach was raised in such an abundantly artistic household, I wanted to know what life was like at home behind the scenes for her mother. It was tough for her because right off the bat, he wanted to be the showstopper, for sure. 
she was offered a role as, I forgot the wife's name, in The Honeymooners. Audrey Meadows. That's right. right. You know that story, and she ended up giving it up so she could kind of be a, a, a mother and a, an actor in New York. So she kind of gave up this huge opportunity to be with Jackie Gleason in Hollywood. Anyway, the way that it worked is that we had one apartment, went to the same school, except for two years we lived in London. We had a nanny, and that was the saving grace of both my parents and their occupation. Why London? Because they did a Marie Schiskel play called Love there, and we ended up getting put into taken out of ethical culture on Central Park West. And we got put into this school that was the absolute polar opposite with uniforms and curtsying and standing up to know your times tables. And it was extremely cruel. In in London. Yes, and closed for cruelty to children eventually. Oh. Yeah. So we lived in England for two years. But other than that, same apartment my entire life. West Side. West Side, 81st and Riverside. Same school, you know, very... Dad was, like, military in his behavior. But does she do less with her career because she's a mom? No, I don't think so. No, really? No, I mean, she didn't go into film as much, but she she worked just as hard at theater, and they did a lot of theater together. That was kind of their, you know, calling card was they used to joke about how they got paid to fight. (laughs) Eight shows a week. No, she didn't, and she wrote a book. She was writing another book. As, you know, later in life, which never got finished, sadly, which was about being a mother, an actress, and a wife, actually. I'd, and I would love to read those notes. They're at the Harry Ransom Center right now. When he, did he travel a lot? He was gone a lot working? He was gone a lot. He was gone yes, a lot. Yes, he was. And, and you didn't go with him? When we could, in the summers. You could. Yeah. But during the school year, your mother wanted you to have a normal life. That's right. And he would leave, and uh, would she would work while he was gone? Sometimes, sometimes, but no, for the most part, she was hanging with us, or she would go and hang with him, and we would be home with the with Nellie, who's a gap-toothed woman from North Carolina, but I thought she was my mother. I have this very romanticized view of your parents, right? where they're sitting there at the dinner table, and you're there, the two girls are there, your brother, right. and family, friends, and associates, and your father's talking all about what it was like shooting with O'Toole. And what it was, and your mother's talking about shooting with Kubrick. Like, did they regale you with stories of show business, or they didn't give a shit about that? No. When their friends were over, they did. They did. Yeah. Yeah, but for the most part, I mean, it was kind of strict around the table. In what way? Well, Dad was kind of strict, you know? Until I was 18, I kind of put him in his place once. But, you know, we had table manners, and you had to raise your hand, can I be excused? I mean, stuff that you do not see no. nowadays. No. You know what I'm no. saying? No. And recently, a friend from high school said, oh, yeah, I was afraid to go to your house. Yeah. You know, because my dad was like... A dinner at our house resembles a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my, my dinner at my house is very different. Well, we had kids. also screaming and get up and slam a door, and we're just like, hey, you know, life is normal. I mean, it's theatrics going on, my mother crying, no tears coming down, you know, and like door slam. One time she slammed, he slammed himself in the bedroom, and then it got locked and he couldn't yeah, get out, couldn't and get he out. was a bull in there, and so she went and got the super. And when they finally got him out, he went to like a movie they wanted to see together and just slammed the door, the front door to the apartment, like, I'm I'm out of here, you know. Fuck you, bitch. He had a really bad temper. He did. Oh, really? He did. Yeah. 
he would also like show up at the door wearing a wig and an apron. I mean, he was crazy. You know, he was great. He was. The best. A man of my dreams. Seriously, I love my dad more than anything. Did he come from a family where show business was in his family? No. No. They came from Poland full on. They owned a candy store in Brooklyn, had no money. All of them very easy. Your dad. Yes, his family. Very easy, low-key people. They all went off to become teachers, his, his sisters and brothers. His brother, Sam, was my mother's high school teacher. And what was the thing in him coming from a certain kind of family with their passions and stuff and their goals? What do you think it was that launched him into show business? I think from from what my memory brings me is he they grew up like with one of those, I forgot what they call them in the candy store where the pictures flip. You put a coin in and it's like a little oh, movie. Right. And I think because his dad was pretty strict, Abe, you know, Polish, very whatever, Jewish. Old school. Old school. He would run away sometimes from school and like put money from the register in this little movie thing and just watch these movies over and over. And he was, it was his escape, I guess. Fantasy. Yeah. Now, you're a member of the studio. Your sister's a member of the studio. You're both on the board of directors of the studio. And what's your recollection of that, meaning their respective participation in the studio. Your mother was a member as well. Yes. So do you have any recollection of Lee and what what Lee was to your dad and your mom? Yeah, I do. I I was pretty young. I'm I'm not that much younger. Bertie's three years older than me, but and she was a student of Lee's. I was not. Right. But I remember we used to go at a very young age, we used to go to Lee's house for Passover. And there'd be like this really cute guy leaning against a bookcase, and that was Al Pacino, or you know, this one. I didn't know. I thought he was my grandfather. I didn't get it. I didn't know who he was. Roberta's middle name is Lee, so I'm like, oh, it's granddad. I got another grandfather because I only met one grandparent. So we would go there and we would look for the matzah, and then he would give us a, a, a silver dollar if you found the matzah. I mean, it was a very big celebration with all these people and very kind of happy Jewish situation that I really didn't understand that well. And then my other memories were at the studio itself watching Lee moderate and thinking, you know, he had an egg timer. For example, Frances Fisher would be up there and she'd take her shirt off and he'd be like, oh, that was wonderful, dear. That was wonderful. I I was like, wow, you know, this is the big guy behind the the Wizard of Oz, behind the curtain. And you you didn't get it. No, I didn't get it. I, I He seemed charming. I liked him. He was an old dude. And he had, so once in a while, he had some cool shit to say, but I was like, mm, I, I <laughs> That's interesting. You know, whereas like Hume Cronin, Jessica Tandy, these people being around, you know, George C. Scott and, and, and Colleen and those people or Paul and Joanne, those people had vibes. You know what I'm saying? Being around those kind of friends or what would you call them? Colleagues. Colleagues. Those people, ha- I would feel the kind of gig young. I remember, you know, I remember some people that really they impressed me. Now, how would you say, because obviously you have this very serious business making jewelry, and you've been doing it for quite a while successfully, and I'm wondering, was that something that you discovered, as many of us discover something, to fill in those gaps of the average acting career? Where you're not always working as much as you want to, you sit there going, "I got to do something." I would say yes, except for that I'm one of those people that has to express myself artistically. Right. I did the, all the flowers for all the weddings of my nephews. I I designed my flowers. I catered for years. I tap danced. I was in a band. I mean, I I have to constantly express. So the thing that happened with the jewelry was, when I was a kid, we went down to visit a friend of 
my dad's, who was a, a, not a friend, a relative who had a, a bead factory on 38th Street. And they let me go rampant in the basement. And I went insane and I was starting to string beads. and blah, blah. So from a very young age, it's also a family business. There's Wallach jewelry. I mean, it's like, that's not mine, mm-hmm. you know? So it was just, it's just a way of it which started I can... When? I mean, there's pictures of me at six selling in the Hamptons on a, on a towel in front of our house. You know, and, but I guess at 30, really, I'm 60, almost five, so at 30 is when So the I'm, creative impulse to make the jewelry superseded way, uh, your, well, your, way your before. boredom with yeah. an acting career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got my SAG card when I was seven in a film with my parents. Which and one? Mauritius Gal, Tiger Makes Out. It yeah. was the typist in the Tiger movie version. Right. And then, you know, I was not born to be an actress. My sister, I think, felt that way. How would you describe your path as an actress? Oh, I kind of was like, well, I guess it's in my my bone. You know, I should yeah. check it out. And I, I do things in that way, you know, which I guess is annoying to some people. But I once I, for example, I, we were in Diary of Anne Frank, and, and I said, look, don't put me in this if I suck. You know, the director said, I'm not putting you in if you suck. So I think I was smoking pot in the attic between acts, and the girl who was my sister's understudy said, okay, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to be an actress? I said, oh, yes, definitely. I was so high. And so she took me and she called Bill Esper and said, that's it. I'm enrolling you in, you know, I'm getting you into this class. And for two years, I studied Sandy Meisner technique with Bill Esper. And, you know, it went from there. I moved to Hollywood for four, four or five years and ended up catering vegan food to hippies on Melrose and, you know, whatever the hell I was doing, feeding meters and and I did some really bad TV shows with a thing in my gap and curled hair and fake tits. And I said, no, this is not right. Why are they making me look like everybody else? So then I came back to New York and I did some plays and started kind of, that's when I got into the studio. I think in nine, 89 or 85 or something I became a member. And, uh, you know, just kind of like took it easy because it's a, it's a hard place But knowing to be. as you did that you had your cynicism about Strasbourg himself, what becomes the lure of the studio? Why do you want to go to the studio? Oh, I mean, he's gone I, by then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think it, it's just the feeling of, of that it meant so much to my folks and had so much to do with their foundation and, and their sanctuary. Right. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to see what this is all about. And even in the beginning, when I was in my 20s, and I'm like, I was doing some scenes with people that were doing some stuff, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know. Right. But then again, there is a way that the work is done there that is like no other place on, on the earth. I mean... The, when it works. When it works. And when, when it's connected to something. Yes. And when... People are brave enough, literally brave enough to go there and not get up there and do what they're good at. You know, I'm going up tomorrow with one day notice and I am not going to do what I'm good at. My instinct is to get up there and, you know, do my thing, you know, my shtick. But I wrote Bo back actually and said, no, no, I'm, he said, thank you so much. You know, you're so brave. I said, either brave or crazy. I said, I'm going there because I want to learn. I never want to stop learning. And that's what my folks taught me is like even into the 90s, you know, like before he really went into dementia land, you know, he was still trying to work and learn and, you know, pitch himself to directors and shit. He famously wrote a letter to Scorsese saying, I want to be in one of your films. And Scorsese apparently thought it was a lie until he saw that he mentioned Sis Corman. So he realized, oh. You know, they, they, maybe this is really Eli Wallach on his stationery. You know what I mean? It, like, he really wrote a letter to him saying, yeah. one of my bucket list things is I want to work with you. 
Actors Studio member, Catherine Wallach. If you love conversations about the craft of acting, be sure to check out my episode with another Actors Studio board member, the late Patricia Bosworth. Did you speak to Brando much for the book? No, I didn't speak to him at all. I only I only met him once at the actor's studio. I called him on the phone. He wanted to talk to me originally because he wanted to talk about Kazan. And he actually wrote me a letter that he would talk to me. But then he decided not to. And I really became so frustrated, I kept calling him and calling. And finally somebody said, why don't you call his dog? <laughs> Alec, I did. Yeah. Listen to this. I faxed, Dear Fido, I want to speak to your master. Within seconds, the fax came back saying, My master does not want to talk to you, and signed with two paw prints. This was Brando answering me. Hear more of my conversation with Patricia Bosworth at heresthething.org. After the break, Catherine Wallach tells us how the actor's studio has changed in her lifetime. And later, Roberta Wallach shares her experience starring alongside Joanne Woodward and being directed by none other than Paul Newman while still in high school. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the 
Icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Actors, studio board member Catherine Wallach made her film debut at age six. She would go on to perform in standout plays like The Beauty Queen of Lanon, The Waltz of the Toreadors, and Awake and Sing. I was curious what life in the theater was like, coming up as a child of one of America's great acting dynasties. Well, we acted a lot together, which was such a joy, all four of us. We did The Flowering Peach, directed by Bobby Lewis. Right. We did a tour directed of Walsh of the Toyers, directed by Brian Murray, who was an actor. He wasn't a director at the time. Right. We did Dyer Van Frank, directed by Marty Freed. So, you know, we ha- we would, like, kind of go, the Flying Walendas would, like, go on the road, you know? It was awesome. And I think they pretty much took me often to get me away from my <laughs> my New York pot-smoking ways, you know? We got to rain this a one bit in. Of that oh, yeah, on. I was the, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you the troubled child? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know how you work in the theater with smoking pot. I did the the Orton play Loot. It was the, my Broadway debut, as they say. And I do the play with Joe Mahar and Shelka Wivonik and Zoe Wanamaker. And Charlie Keating played the husband. And my dressing room was above his. Oh, and during the half, Charlie Keating would smoke an enormous joint. That's unbelievable. And the smoke would go up out his window, up the alleyway, and go in my window of my room. I could smell the oh. weed. Because his character was supposed to make an oh, entrance Jesus. disheveled, having been in a car crash. And he enters disheveled in a mess and chaotic and in shock. He would smoke pot in his room, and then they would, we would do the, the second half. And he'd walk out and go, oh, my God. It was an awful accident on the road. And he was, like, wasted. And I thought, how the fuck do you act? Wasted. I have no idea. I can't. I, 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 I mean, except for, like, when, when we were in Dyer Van Frank and Tony Holland would say, bring on the dancing girls when the Nazis would come and bang the door down. I mean, and I'm trying not to laugh, you know. Anyway, after that, I squiftly got my ass to class and stop smoking pot. I can't even smell it now. Isn't that funny? Really? Like, I really don't like the smell of it. Oh, you hate it? Yeah, cannot. Can I haven't smoked since I'm 30. What's the last job you did? What's the last show you did? I did two films during COVID that have now been written into from shorts to feature, and uh-huh. they kept me in my role. So we're, we're about to shoot the... Oh, you are? Yeah. I'm excited. Do you still... You know, like, what's your feeling about acting now? How do you... You still enjoy it? I absolutely love doing it. You do? Yeah. You're in and out of the studio when you're younger, and your parents, of course, are members of the studio. How's it changed in your lifetime. Well, back in those days, there was working, working actors, and there was not the school filtering students coming in. There weren't, you know, this kind of influx of all different levels of No actors. relationship with the, 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 the MFA program. Right. So there was, like, a very high standard. There was also kind of a looser uh, attitude about when you could rehearse and go in. We all had keys. You could spend the night there if you snuck, which I have many times. You know, there was it was a very different kind of vibe. And I was the, the little one, you know. I, I was one of the few younger ones at the More time. More bohemian. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and I t- took me three times to get in, and by the time I got in, I did Sydney Kingsley's Dead End, you know, and and by the time I got in, they called me to tell me I was like, oh yeah, okay, fine, and click, because they I, they put me through some major hoops to become a member, which was fine. I didn't want any any special treatment. I get actually offended when during moderation in a scene or you know during session, people bring up my parents, and I'm like, why didn't you bring up Joe's parents, huh? You know, I mean, could you just give me a break? Now you really have to find that underlying thread. You really have to find that kind of old school connection because there's so many different energies going on there now. But, you know, people that diss it and don't come and I just say, you know, it is what you make it. And I don't have a huge career right now. So it is my way of expressing, being able to express on the stage. And I and I cherish that. I mean, I'm really lucky, you know. I, th- I see movies and plays the other day. Everybody stands up and yells, bravo. My father used to get so pissed when people would stand up and yell bravo just because they saw a play. It's funny how your dad, who I worship, you know, the mark of a of a truly great film actor to me is just the, the indelibility of these lines of theirs. Your father comes from a school, which I don't think he would claim to be a member of this school, but I kind of recognize a school of people, which is just be the best thing in the movie. It doesn't matter how big your part is. Yeah. Just be memorable in the movie in terms yeah. of your truthfulness. Yeah. Your parents' legacy. What would you hope their legacy is? That they were so in love with each other and that they worked together so well. The respect, I mean, my father, if my mother said this was an umbrella, my father would say, your mother said that's an umbrella, that's an umbrella. You know, devotion. Devotion, artistic respect, and love. I mean, that that would be, you know, what I would say. And they, they really did their best at raising as <laughs> normal if you could call us that, healthy, non-involved in the whole, you know, they kept us accountable. And they also, at the same time, like dad was more proud of me making, you know, 90 grand as a rep for an eyewear company than I was, than he was if I was acting. Yeah. Absolutely. He was like so much more proud of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it was, it was like. Interesting. You mentioned that the legacy is their relationship. Yeah, I think it is. That's amazing. Because nowadays, like, you know, I mean, there were so few of them that, that worked together as much as my folks. They really did, you know, always... Especially, it's interesting how you don't see that now. You don't see no. that now. And as they got older, you know, they would, write, they would do poetry performances in all sorts of churches and smaller theaters around New York. My father did student films. He and I worked together at the studio. We did Moon for the Misbegotten. I played Josie. Here he comes walking down the aisle. I'm like, that's Eli Wallach walking down the aisle. It was unbelievable. You know, after, by the way, we stopped, and Stephen Lang was the moderator, and Dad said, hey, can we try it again? And, the, and he goes, yeah, go ahead. And we did it again with the notes they gave us. Can we do it again? He was like 80-something, you know? Like, that's beautiful. Actress and designer Catherine Wallach. My next guest, Roberta Wallach, is known for her work on stage and screen including her Drama Desk-nominated performance in The Model Apartments. She made her film debut while still in high school in The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds. Since Ann Jackson and Eli Wallach were so prolific throughout Roberta's childhood, I wanted to know how her parents balanced work with raising their children. Dad was gone much more so than Mom, and they had an agreement, basically, 
to try and make sure as often as possible that they were not both gone at the same time, or if they were, very often we would go with them. But she was around a lot, and also back then... When, for instance, Off-Broadway was still a fairly new thing happening in New York City, they did a lot of theater, a lot. Mm-hmm. And the curtains were later. They were 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. right? So we would all sit down to dinner at 6, eat dinner. I remember mom always had to go take a nap. She would take a nap. And then they would go off to the theater. But then whenever there was free time... She was a very hands-on mom. I, I mean, I marvel at the stuff she was able to balance. We had help, fabulous help. Catherine and I always refer to our Nellie as our black mother, right? <laughs> you know, right. who was amazing and was came to work for us when I was only a couple of months old. And she was very close. She really became a family member. But the fact that she was able to balance being a wife, having the career that she had, which was pretty big, and to be mom to us was amazing. I mean... I have memories of her around the holidays taking us always shopping to get new outfits and to see Santa Claus at Bonwit Tellers or whatever, Lord and Taylor's. And and Kath and I, my sister and I, Easter time, we always were outfitted in great little outfits to go to the Easter parade. They were very, both of them, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, when Dad was around... I realized fairly young that it was quality time versus quantity time. Mm. And I remember talking briefly to Kate Winslet about it, who was very concerned about being a mother, a working mother. And I said to her, I get that, and I'm not going to lie to you, could be some therapy bills down the line, (laughs) abandonment stuff. But kids, I think, very early on realize and recognize that when their parents really love what they do, especially when it's something like acting, which every kid pretty much every kid wants to do all the time anyway, mm-hmm. we give them a pass. We understand what that sensation is. I mean, I decided absolutely for sure I was going to be an actor at age six. I was taken on a date with Patty Chayefsky's son, Danny. We were both in school together. We went to see Oliver on Broadway. When you were six? When I was six. And I remember sitting there, and before that time, I kept thinking, well... Do I want to be a ballerina or a nurse? A ballerina or a nurse? And then I went, when I sat in that theater, I, I, I realized, oh, no, I want to be an actor because then I can be a ballerina and a nurse. And I can also play a boy if I want to. I could be a boy nurse or a boy ballerina. I could be anything. Now, your sister mentioned how your dad was a pretty no-nonsense guy oh, when boy. he was home. <laughs> Yeah. There was a lot of rules and mm-hmm. manners, and mm-hmm. uh, you asked to be excused from the table. Well, he had been in the military, okay, for way too long in his estimation because his birthday was December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. Right. So he was already in the Army, and it was happy birthday. Here's another three years or whatever. You're, you're stuck here. So, yeah, he was very militant about time. If you were four minutes early, that was considered late, and he would pout for and not speak to you for about two hours. I, to this day, sometimes, I'm if I'm walking in my apartment without my, you know, barefoot, I can hear my father's voice saying, I'll find you. Put your slippers on. Where are your slippers? You know, there were certain things that they were strict about. But in retrospect, I think it was kind of great because it gave us all a sense of ethics, a sense of work ethic, a discipline that, you know, we needed. So Consideration. Yeah. When did you first become aware of the studio yourself? Was it through your parents and going there with them? Uh, I have 
an effective memory, a vague one, of an older version of the studio of walking between these seats on a kind of rake. That's all I can remember about that. But no, my earliest memories of the studio are really more about Lee himself, about Strasbourg. I think I mentioned to you, my middle name is Lee after Lee. Your sister told us. Uh, right. So he was, for me, a sort of grandpa figure. But when it came to the work itself, then we had a much more slightly reserved and what I would call more of a professional relationship, even though there was tremendous love and fondness there. So those are my earliest memories. I mean, I got into the studio in 1980, but I did my first feature that Paul Newman directed when I was 16. I was still in high school. What film? The Effect of Gamma Rays. Right. So I was still in high school with Joanne. Right. What was that like? Extraordinary. Extraordinary. I mean, I have yet to have an experience even remotely like it, I'm afraid, but whatever. It was extraordinary because... From the moment of the audition, and fortunately, when I first auditioned, I think Sis Corman actually got me the audition. When I got in there, Paul didn't know who I was, who my parents were, and it wasn't until the very end that the casting director said something like, well, say hi to your parents, and he went, who are your parents? And then I told him, and then he told me the most hilarious thing, I thought, which was that his first audition ever in New York City was with mom, and that he absolutely sucked, and that... He, he saw the look on, you know, he said to mom something like, Annie, do you, do you want to go rehearse first? And she kind of was a little skeptical. She said, oh, okay. And they went to read it through, and she just thought, oh, boy, there goes this job. And so that I thought was hilarious. He said, you know, I've always loved your mom, that she was so gracious to me after I blew the job for That's both funny. of us. So that was great. But he, he treated me, even at 16, like a peer. And I was very serious. I mean, I started training at the Neighborhood Playhouse when I was quite young. Charles Bush and I were in the same singing class together. We took singing and improv and stuff. But I lied about my age, which I found out. I guess my mother didn't have to. We both first studied at 15 with Herbert Burkhoff. So, I, again, I was still in school. I lied about my age to get into the class. And I was in class with Joey Pantoliano. You have a list of people you studied with. It's a very heavy-hitting list. Yeah. It's Berghoff, it's Hagen, it's uh, Bobby Lewis, it's Lee, Seacat, Batson. I mean, the only name that's missing here is uh, Wynne Handman. I mean, right. you, you studied with everybody. Right, nor Stella Adler. Was that by choice? It wasn't that I felt I was eliminating anybody. The truth is that, that from fairly early on, I was working quite a bit. So I just didn't feel that I had to study with everybody. I mean, I was able to apply having worked with such extraordinary teachers, but also with amazing actors and also growing up with amazing actors. I guess I didn't feel like I had to study with everybody. Again, it was more about quality, not quantity mm-hmm. for me. That was enough. You know, and yet what's funny is now at 67, I'm still studying. I'm taking an extraordinary Shakespeare course online with my friend Christopher Tabori, who lives in the Philippines. I know Tabori. Yeah, so, so that's been unbelievable. Penny Fuller is in our class. It's just awesome. And Giles Foreman, who studied under a man called Yat Malmgrim and Christopher Fettis. And Christopher Fettis was the man who... Anthony Hopkins based his role as Hannibal Lecter on Christopher. 
He based Lecter on Correct. this guy? On, on Why? Cri- oh, well, if you ever met Christopher, you would understand. But Christopher was a master. He he founded the Drama Center in London, which is it, 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 as Brit. close to the equivalent of the actor's studio as you could possibly get. He's a Brit? Get. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I think Christopher was born in India during yes. the Raj, you know, and all yes. that. But what fascinated me and drew me, although I had met Giles through Susan Batson many years ago, and I've been teaching at his studio in London and Paris, but what fascinated me about this whole lineage, which is different than our training, but they're in some ways quite similar, is that there are certain actors, the younger actors who have all worked this particular method, shall we call it, include Michael Fassbender and Tom Hardy. Mm -hmm. And I just went, okay, Mm -hmm. what are these guys doing? Mm -hmm. Would like to figure that out. Colin Farrell. Yeah, I mean, amazing, amazing actors, you know, going way, way back to Sean Connery, et cetera, et cetera, who Mm -hmm. all studied this. A group of these guys were all in, after the Second World War, they all ended up fleeing the Nazis, and they all, they, some of them were gay and, and whatever, and they all ended up in England, including, which flipped me out, and I did not know this at the time, Michael Chekhov was part of that whole group, and Uta Hagen was interested, too. Mm-hmm. She was there as well. And it's based a lot on what we might call psychological gesture, that the repetition of a certain gesture over and over and over starts to elicit something emotional from within. It changes your rhythm. For example? Well, it gets a little more complicated because the part, another part that fascinates me that I think Lee would have loved too, because Lee was so interested in psychology as he got older and older, is that there's a lot of Jungian premise to this too. And so that each one of us human beings basically are components of four things, sensing, thinking, intuiting, and feeling. And then it gets complicated on how you combine that. But basically for me, I can't do my work without emotional memory, without sensory work. It's impossible. But there was always a part of me from when I was fairly young that started to feel like there's a little bit missing. There's a little something still cloudy. And this particular thing that I'm now working on, which is like learning an entirely new language, has much more to do with a certain level of precision. It has to do with almost a a type of architecture to building a character. And again, you know, as a young actor... I remember realizing that someone like Sean Penn, who is such an internal actor, he's such, you know, I don't like to use the word method because mm-hmm. it gets such a bad rap. And mm-hmm. also the, de- the true definition is whatever method works for you. Mm-hmm. That it seemed to me when you watch a, an actor like that over a long period of time where he's so internal and it's so emotional, as he gets older, he starts to shift more. And Al Pacino, too, I think to more outer stuff so that you get the the balance between the two. I'm doing a TV show years ago, and I have a scene in which the matriarch of a town who's going to bestow money on a medical clinic, and she's decided to withhold the funding for some quasi-political reason, and I have this scene with her where I'm appealing to her to give us the money, and I'm, like, grinding my gears through the whole scene. I'm like, you know, because the thing you don't understand. I'm, like, right in my sense memory. My dog died. I found the pigeon dead by the fucking road or whatever. Right. And I'm sitting there going, and the thing you gotta understand, Mrs. Cunningham. I mean, my God, you just gotta get... And we're done, and the director walks up to me and goes, you know, we don't have to do the whole show in the one scene. <laughs> right. See, we don't have to do... And as right. I have gone 
all these decades on, it becomes, the word I use is technical. It becomes mm-hmm. more technical. Mm-hmm. The inspiration is either there or it isn't. Right. And, well, if, and I can summon it. I, you know, I, don't, know, I don't have a problem connecting to some emotional absolutely. Uh, current in me. But to me, the technical now, I don't want people to have to reach for the TV dialogue. What did he say? Which happens all the time, oh, right? I mean, and, yeah. and the funny thing is, is there's a great story that Dad told. I think he wrote it in his book where as a young actor, they were original members of the studio and he went to the studio during the day and he listened to Lee lecture and he got all excited and worked up about it. He couldn't wait to run to the theater. He was doing Antony and Cleopatra with Catherine Cornell, with her company. Okay. And he, he's playing the messenger or something. He was so excited. He was so amped up that he jumped a cue and cut out a, a page and a half of her dialogue, whatever. And she was furious. And dad runs back to Lee and he goes, Lee, Lee, you know, why? You, you, you told me I was so excited. And Lee just looked at him and said, pick up your cues. <laughs> Eli, darling, pick up your cues. Actors studio member, Roberta Wallach. If you're enjoying this conversation, don't keep it to yourself. Tell a friend. And follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, Roberta Wallach shares a memory of acting rivalry with her father, Eli Wallach. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. 
And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. It makes sense that Roberta Wallach would go into the family business having grown up surrounded by the cream of the crop in the acting world. I wanted to know what her parents thought about her following in their footsteps. They were interviewed once on a talk show, and the interviewer asked, did you encourage your kids to become actors? And Dad said, would you push your kid off a bridge? (laughs) So I think that was a mixed thing, I mean, to be honest. And there were times where it really amused me no end, where Dad would get a little bit jealous of me. I mean, I did The Sopranos, and he said to me, what, can I get on that show? And I said, Eli, call your agent. You know? I'm not your agent. Excuse (laughs) me. Right. Go through the proper channels the way I had to. Right. You know, so I think there was some of that, but also so lucky that I got to work with both of them on the stage many times, on television, on film. And so, again, we also were able to see each other as peers in a certain way, which I think was fantastic. What did your sister say with the, the show you all did together, Anne Frank? Yeah. Yeah, all yeah and she Where played did you my, do that? We started it in Manhattan. Off Broadway, and I don't, I don't remember if Kath was in that original production or not. But then we took it to Canada, and then we we took it all around the country. We we toured with it for a while. That was incredible. That was an amazing experience. I mean, that lasted for how long? Over a year or more. That's the most amazing thing to me. I mean, it's one thing to work with your wife, your girlfriend, one of your siblings, or whatever. Right. But to work with your parents. Right. Except that I think. Again, we were exposed to it. I mean, we were exposed to it so young that it seemed fairly normal. Mm-hmm. And and the advantage, of course, was I with both I was so familiar with how they both worked. I mean, dad asked me to cue him all the time. So I knew their instruments very well. And so that made it easier and comfortable. But for example, you know, stuff happens. I mean, of course, right? We were doing a, an Ann Mira play together, and I had this very, these very sexy scenes with John Shea, you know. And I said to the director, excuse me, but could you ask these two to leave the room while I'm—they're yeah. not on stage while I, John right. and I are having this scene. I don't need to compound it with even more therapy, thank you very yeah. much, that I'm about to, can you we know— sub- Can we suck the Freudian d- <laughs> aspect out of this room, please? Exactly. Or the funny things—I I don't know if Kath told you, but there were a number of instances during Anne Frank, during other things that we did together where—and Brian Murray— told this great story about we're doing Waltz of the Toreadors together and mom and dad are having this huge fight. They're just into it. They're just going at it. And Catherine and I aren't paying any attention. We're just eating. We're talking to each other as if nothing is happening. And everybody else is just frozen in shock, you know. But the two of us are like, this is a day, you know. No biggie. Yeah, no biggie. They'll be, you know. They'll get through this. This is just part of, you know, it's usually the Ann Jackson, I can't act moment where she storms off. 
And then, D- God damn it, he says, you know, whatever. And they go through this whole thing. And then she comes back and it's as if nothing happened, right. you know. So and they talked a lot about it being therapeutic for them to get fights on stage together. So I think there was an element of that with us. I mean, one time I almost brought Dad up on charges, though, when we were doing the Diary of Anne Frank and we were in a blackout. You're not joking. I'm not joking. Charges meaning equity charges. No, of course. Not criminal. But but we were in the middle of a blackout. We were in an exit, and he started to give me a note in the dark. And I pulled him aside, and I said, Mr. Wallach... You have anything to say to me as an actor, you talk to my stage manager and the stage manager will go to the director. Don't you ever give me a note again. And his tail went right between his legs. He was caught. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. In the meantime, I would sometimes beg my mother for a note. What did each of them respectively teach you about acting? Hmm. What would she emphasize? Wow. You need to what and and then correspondingly him. Okay, so, so... In the earlier days, I would say, as I was saying before about how familiar I was with with the way that they worked, Dad had to learn all his lines. I mean, have them down pat. He had to pretty much get those that down really quickly. Mom, on the other hand, did not care. She needed to know what the hell she was doing, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so the good news is... (laughs) I saw the value of both, right? So I think the truth is that they never really came that directly at us in terms of acting. They really didn't. They really didn't talk about it. They wanted you to discover it on your own. I think so. And I think they also respected the choices that I had made in terms of training. Although I had to fight Dad for that first role. He said to me, when when I got the the role... When Paul Newman cast me in the film, he said to me, what about school? I said, what about it? I will do my school work and I will co-star opposite Joanne Woodward. Enough. I wanted to go to professional children's school when I was a kid. And they, they said no. He said, no, you will get an education like everyone else. In retrospect, I'm really glad that he said that. What about her? What did she want you to know? I think they both, what they really wanted to instill was the joy of acting. To never lose that under any circumstances, to stay true to that pure joy. You know, I'm very much, I would say, more of your mother's school, maybe for different reasons, right. where I've, I've worked with actors who came in and they were, you know, if not letter perfect, they were pretty damn close, day one of rehearsal. Right. Like, there's no discoveries right. that can be made. No. But if you're there, you're several steps down the board from where I am, and I'm not quite sure what happened except in that case. That, except that, for example, I'm same here. I take longer usually to learn text, but then when I do, I don't forget it. Right. I'm, I'm the one who gets the least number of notes. Right. Nobody. I'm the same way. Once right. I get my, I have a very good memory. But my point is, is that I would say to myself, well, I found myself incapable, or at least I just didn't prefer. Maybe I was capable mm. of going into re- rehearsal and having memorized all my lines. And because what I need to, well, what's missing is what are you going to do? Well, look, I worked as a very young actor with Ruth Gordon and Gar Kanan directing, right. and they said to me, "You have to have all your lines down before we start rehearsing." And to me, that was torture. It was crazy. You know, it was really hard for me to work that way. But out of respect, I thought, "Okay, we'll do that." So it's it's remarkable when you get to work with another studio member. I mean, years ago, I did a little film. I don't think it, anything ever happened with it. With 
our buddy Stephen Lang. And Stephen and I immediately, before the director even got into anything, we start improvising, we're jamming, we're doing all this stuff. By the time they say action, we're already into the scene with our own words mm-hmm. first. So being able to jam that way, again, it's like yeah. playing with musicians, Music. right? Being able to work that way, that is what I prefer still to this day. Now, your sister was very candid. She did not have warm and glowing and uh, idolatrous things to say about Strasbourg. She said that when she was there, she was kind of like, um, mm-hmm. maybe get that. I'm not getting I'm not going to. When you were in the studio, you were there when Lee was there. Oh, absolutely. And what was your experience? With so, so he taught me a, an extraordinary lesson very early on, which was... I remember going up to do a scene, and when it was over, I started making all kinds of excuses about how I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. And he went ballistic. Darling, I don't care if you have two minutes or 20 minutes or 20 years. And my whole body is shaking. I'm, like, leaving my body. And it was extremely valuable because I realized, yeah, you know, you have to do the work. You have to. I mean, yes, it's about having fun, but the flip side of that is also preparation. And this is something I know Al Pacino doesn't credit himself with this, but that notion of, which is very Zen, by the way, of you do the work, you do the work, you do the work, you do the work, and then you throw it all away. So Lee was incredibly inspiring because he had that laser beam ability to cut into something. But yeah, he was a human being. He had favorites. He liked young women in, in jeans and, you know, whatever. Okay, you know, he, he, he had that, but he was incredibly insightful. And it was fun to watch some of the really older established actors turn into kids. I mean, Shelley Winters turned into a child in front of Lee. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were were terrorized by him. I thought he was quite funny a lot of the times. I mean, I think I mentioned to you that in his class once he he suddenly listed like thirty books in a row, and I'm fr- this is before cell phones, right? I'm frantically writing down all of his references, and finally he gets to the end of it and he goes, "Yeah, but," and he's addressing the whole class. He goes, "Yeah, but you don't read anyway," <laughs> and I burst out laughing. So. Yes, my experience was different. I adored him. I felt honored to work for him. And you got it. And I got it. And also, back to the Anne Frank thing, I, was, I, I did it ass backwards out of respect for him, meaning I wanted to get into the studio as a member first before I studied with him. So that's what I did. And so when I went to study with him, he had not seen me do Anne Frank, and I understood why because of Susan Strasberg playing it, and he didn't want to see it, and I understood that. But he said to me, Dolly, would you bring a scene in? I said, sure, if that's what you want me to do. And I remember setting up and doing my thing and whatever, and when it was over, and I felt pretty good because I had played it for so long. When it was over, I said, yeah, so I did my preparation. He went, what? I said, I did a preparation. He said, when? I said, well, while I was setting up, he went, ah, very good. I did not see that. (laughs) <laughs> so my experience with him was was quite different. I mean, I'm aware, very aware because of historical information, particularly when he was younger. A lot of people had problems with him and issues and whatever. But for me, going to work with him much later in his life, I think it had softened him. I mean, he was drinking chocolate milkshakes a lot, you know. He was, <laughs> he was a booby to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I wasn't terrified by him. So my last question for yeah. you is your parents' legacy. And that is, when you think about your parents, what comes to mind? Great love story. Right. 
Your sister said that she thought your fear, she thought your mother was more talented than your father. Okay, okay. And, and he kind of knew it. Right. Well, and it frustrated that's him. similar to Paul and Joanne, right? Bingo. But but I think the truth of that, I would adjust it only slightly by saying no one could stu- could touch Annie on the stage. No one. So in that sense, yes. But when it comes to film, maybe not so much. Right. Maybe that was dad's territory more. Right. So that's fair. But she was so instinctive. I mean, she was incredible. I remember her saying to her once something about improvisation. She just went, Ugh, I hate that. I hate improvisation. I said to her, that's because, Ann Jackson, your entire life is an improv. That's how you live your life. We mere mortals have to actually train right. in that. But you, that's how you... You can... look forward to coming into a theater as I used to. Someone said to me, why do you love the theater? I said, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. I know exactly how they're going to react. Right. I said, that's heaven to me. For t- I'm, I'm a control freak. That's two and a half hours of just pure pleasure for right. me. But it's right. interesting you say that about the movie and the, and, and the stage yeah, thing. Yeah, a slight different set of muscles. And then there are those of us who are lucky enough to be able to adjust and do both, which has always been, for me, a joy that I've been able to jump between big screen, small screen, and the stage. I think that, um, you know, with your dad especially, I, I think to myself, because I'm, I'm an enormous fan of your father, and, and there are moments of your father's career that are just so indelible to me. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's one of the greatest movie actors of all time. Eli Wallach was a person who had this power of understanding and the character and, and, and insight and strength, and none of it was at the expense of the right. other. Right, I think that's that, was, so rare. that was true of both of them. They were right. hugely generous. I mean, not just as people, but also... As actors. As actors. Yeah. Amazingly generous. And that's something I hope to, <laughs> I hope I've inherited big time because it's important, yeah? My thanks to Roberta and Catherine Wallach. This episode was recorded at CDM Studios in New York City. We're produced by Kathleen Russo, Zach McNeese, and Maureen Hoban. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Our social media manager is Danielle Gingrich. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's the Thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.